0: Well, good morning, Oak Grove. Um, I'm all wired up to the hilt here. I have no idea what I sound like out there, cause I, but I can hear myself through the earbuds, so we're good. What does that sound like? Oh, that does sound different. Okay. Well, we're gonna give this a try. Why don't you guys stand up, and we're gonna sing the first song together. So.
1: <laughs> Praise the Lord.
2: afternoon. I have that written across my paper in big letters, right? Not to say good morning. Anyway, welcome. Thank you all for coming to Oak Grove Bible Fellowship, meeting at Cow Creek Community Church. Let's see. We have uh, one guest announcement. uh, Today, Judy Lewis is going to come up and talk about women's ministry. I surprised her a little bit. She didn't know when she was coming up.
3: Good afternoon. So, if any of you women did not get a um, a little note, we you can see me afterwards. and I'll give it to you. it Gives the the times and stuff that we're going to meet. But we're going to be talking about um, hospitality, and that was because the women got together and we were talking about um, how that plays out. And I left my glasses back there.
1: <laughs> some under the
2: Are there? works
3: <laughs> okay um in Matthew 25 34 it says then the king will say to those on his right come you are blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink I was a stranger and you invited me in. naked and you clothed me I was sick and you visited me I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, and, or give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these my brethren of mine, even the least of them, You did it unto me. And we're gonna be talking about how that plays out in our everyday life.
2: Thank you, Judy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So feel free to come up and talk. There's glasses (laughs) under here. (laughs) A few housekeeping items, just to make sure everybody knows where bathrooms are and where the nursery is and things like that. Um, there's a set of bathrooms out this back door um, under the exit sign. Uh, there's also another set if those are occupied or crowded. Um, if you go that direction to the west, you'll see a couple double glass doors. If you go in there, you'll see some restrooms there. Um, we have a cry room, which is right if you go out this back door again and an immediate right. And there's sound in there so you can hear what's going on if you want to take your child in there. That's great. And then we have nursery for those who are four and under, and uh, again, you go out the back door, that's the door. Go out the back door, straight across to the right up the ramp, and there's somebody, uh, Sherry Jones, is there to help take care of kids four and under. The uh, rest kids are welcome to be in here with us. Um, we were gonna have an overflow room, but we had a scheduling problem with Cow Creek, so we will give you more information on that as we resolve that issue. Uh, building update, we are in escrow as most of you know. And uh, yeah, praise the Lord. that w- we, we prayed for that for a long time. You guys prayed and prayed and we thank you for that. Uh, we're scheduled to close on Monday, November 30th. And uh, so continue to pray as the escrow process can have a lot of details in it that need to be completed. Um, this, this week, we're actually starting on building inspections, so just so you know where we're at on that. Um, any other announcements I might have missed? Anybody got anything? All right. Let's open our afternoon in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are God, and there is no other. You are God, and there is none like you. You make known the end from the beginning. You say, My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Lord, you have guided us as your children, and you have told us. I have upheld you since birth. I have carried you since you were born. Even to our old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am God who sustained you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. Lord, we ask that you care for the sick and those who aren't with us today. Bless our service, our singing, our communion. Take care of Steve, Lord, as he brings your word to us. Thank you again for a place to meet. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, Songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Amen. Yeah.
0: Let's go ahead and stand up as we sing these next couple. Old habits. When I was in um, Liberty Singers and Sounds of Shasta, they would not allow us to sing sitting down because you don't sing as well sitting down. So. Old happens. Anyways, let's sing together.
1: We had turned from God to sin's disgrace. We chose the path to hell. Perfect law of God condemned our race. All in Adam fell. But the righteousness of God appeared, and the world found hope again. For the righteous one has come down to bear all the curse of sin. power. All glory be forever. All glory be forever. Every bond of sin that held us fast is left in Jesus' grave. We've been freed from It's our church. Oh, my.
4: dear
0: lord that is our cry um as the world around us just continues to change and get darker lord we look forward to the day lord where not only do you set everything right lord but we see you face to face i pray that every day our our hearts would attach themselves to that that thought lord more and more as we grow closer to you lord we just thank you for this day we thank you for this wonderful building we can meet in And just for this body of believers, this family that you've given me, that you've given all of us, Lord. And I pray that you would just grow us together in you. In your name, amen. You guys can be seated.
4: church family. (laughs) You know, looking at all of us here in this building is bringing back lots of memories for me. I grew up, a lot of us grew up in this, in these walls and, you know, running around as little kids. And the only thing that, the thing that has been constantly on my mind the last few, well, two weeks, is that God is great and his plan is perfect amen? amen God is great and his plan is perfect when Oak Grove started 13 12-13 years ago we were uh, in the backyard of Ron Warks and we were getting close to the rainy season we didn't have a building yet God provided now we spent the last summer outdoors in people's backyards rainy season's coming again god provided this building and then he provided the building the new building that we're in escrow in you know i constantly reminded that our plans are so finite but god's plans are perfect and you know every time i try to plan for even a year out two years out and i I put everything I calculate everything I try to figure out every step along the way make the perfect plan God generally hits me in the face with a two by four (laughs) But his plan has always been perfect you look through the Bible and you can see countless countless times where Man has their plan God has his and God's plan always works You don't have to turn here, but i'm going to read a few verses out of matthew Matthew 26, 39, Jesus is in the garden praying to God before he, he's being led away. And he said, and he fell, and he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. God had a plan. God had the perfect plan. And he planned for the most tragic event in human history to become the most beautiful event ever. And he has a plan every day for us. And reading in Matthew 24, verses 35, his plan includes, it says, heaven and earth will pass away and my words will not, uh, but my words will not pass away. But of the day and hour, no one knows, not even and angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. One thing that I know personally I struggle with is just submitting my life to the Lord and letting His plan rule my life. I find myself, when I've made plans and something else starts to happen, I fight it and I try to keep going. As we come here together for communion and we remember God's perfect plan and way, God And his plan, uh, have his son come to this earth to die for our sins. Just As you pray and prepare yourself for communion, remember that he has a plan. And even though right now we're going through uncertain times, we have had unprecedented fires, pandemics, riots, political strife. Everywhere you turn, it looks like the world is in shambles and chaos. But God has a plan. So turn to the Lord and pray prepare your hearts for communion and when you're done you can turn your bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter oh my place marker chapter 11 starting in verse 24 In reading 1 Corinthians 11, we'll start at 23. The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. until he comes and let's pray lord heavenly father we want to thank you for your plan for your plan for this church family that we are delighted the direction which you are taking us lord prepare us for whatever encounters that may come along the way lord as we leave here and go on with our lives lord please help us remember that your plan is perfect that you have a plan for each and every one of us. And even though that we may not understand it, that your plan is perfect. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
5: Good afternoon, church family. Please open your Bibles to Matthew 5. I'm gonna read one through 16. Matthew 5, one through 16, please. And seeing the multitudes he went up on a mountain and when he was seated and was seated his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned?
6: Please leave your Bible, your Bible open to um, Matthew 5 and also open to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. Stick something in there. We're going to get to that point as well. Well, we're not in the Rourke's Oak Grove and we're not in the ranks Oak Grove 2, or the Kern's beautiful front yard, uh, or we're not at the SDA, and, or you're not sitting in your living room, or your man cave, or on the deck, or at Starbucks catching the service on the, through the computer and the internet. We're here. Uh, for me, uh, this tells us several things. One thing it tells me is that Oak Grove is blessed with a group of elders that work hard and pray hard and work hard and pray hard to the nth degree. And I think if you get near one of them, you should give them an air hug and a fist bump (laughs) because they have done a tremendous amount and we're really thankful for how God has used them. So thank you all, yes. It also reminds us that God has blessed us with a great relationship with Cow Creek, how wonderful that is, and for their generous provision, allowing us to be in this building. That's wonderful. You know, being here after being in all the places we've been from week to week to week, you know, trying to catch up with where is church this week. I think we could have a a subtitle for our church, Oak Grove Mobile Fellowship. (laughs) Uh, And we have lived that one out to the hilt, haven't we? At another level, the fact that we're here uh, is a a reminder and the fact of what we've gone through for these last six or eight months is a reminder that the church is not a building because we were a church wherever we were. And uh, God has blessed us. Uh, A church really is an assembly of people called out by God, incorporated in Christ, indwelt by the Spirit, people who have faith and allegiance to and in Christ. And so that's who we are. Um, Luke, in his gospel, in chapter 19, verse 10, wrote this. He said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Pause. Rerun that. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That covers a lot of ground, doesn't it? This covers a lot of ground for us. What should we be doing? What should we not be doing? What are our priorities? What are your goals for the week? The son of man said he came here to seek and to save the lost, lost people. And in the two instances in the New Testament where his last words are recorded, I think what we could what we could see happening there is to visualize Jesus just try and visualize Jesus right in front of you out there about six feet looking you in the eye and saying all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me as you go I want you to make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all I commanded you and I'll be with you even to the end of the age and the other thing he said, Acts 1A, 1 e, 1 he said, Listen, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Those two statements, I think we should take them very personally. As Jesus speaking to us, He's saying, Make disciples. He's saying you are empowered to do this and do it to the end of the age. And notice Acts 1.8, he said, be my witnesses. Be my witness, tell what you have seen. A witness tells what they've seen. They tell what they know, go, be a witness. In our passage today of Matthew, uh, I wanna read just a few of the words uh, from a couple of verses. In Matthew 12, I'm sorry, Matthew 5.13, it says, "You." are the salt of the earth. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. If you could read Greek, if you were Greek and you read that in Greek, you would say, aha, look at that. He has put the word you in the emphatic position. You you can make an emphasis in Greek with word order and he has said, you, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And so he's speaking directly. He's speaking directly to us. And he's saying, salt of the earth, light of the world. So it means he's sending us into the world. What is our world like? Um, we need to know, because he has sent us there as part of the process of God drawing boys and girls and men and women to himself, people who don't know the Lord, people who are lost. And so we need to understand our world. And And we have this text, it's very personal, we have a choice here. We can obey the text, we can say, yes, I will go. And we can also go on the basis, not just of obedience, but we can go because we have compassion for the people in this world, the people around us, the people that are lost, because we know the struggles, we know the brokenness. We know the hopelessness. We know the the facade of success, the facade of joy that's too often is is it just hollow. And why do these successful people why do they divorce? Why do they take their lives? What is going on? Successful people. And so this world we're in is a, a complex hurting place. In 1946, Dr. Benjamin Spock wrote a book. that became a bestseller, sold 30 million copies. Forty years later in 1986, he's reflecting upon what he had written in the book and what the world was like. In 1986, 40 years later, he says, we live in a sicker society today. Now here we are how many years is that? 34 years. And we're saying, you think that was sicker? <laughs> but that was his perspective, 1986. Sicker society. Divorce has doubled. The teen suicide rate has tripled. People are living in fear of crime. People are f- living in fear of nuclear annihilation. There is no more spiritual spirituality in our country anymore he said this he said we don't have souls anymore and we could add to this dirge of darkness with some things from our day to kind of update that a little bit we could we could remind ourselves that that the doctrines of demons that are being perpetrated in our culture are getting traction, and one of the ways they're getting traction is they're convincing a lot of people that there's no such thing as truth anymore. Your truth is, that's up to you, that's fine, but that doesn't, that doesn't relate to me. There's no truth, so if, if you dare push your issue with me, I might have to cancel you. It's a cancel culture. It's not a love culture. In our culture, any bizarre belief or action not only needs to be tolerated, but in some cases, it needs to be championed. You notice how major, major corporations just line up to support organizations that say, if you don't support us, we will destroy you. They just fall at their feet. That's our culture. And in our day and age, sadly, kids, adults, now have to, in some cases, identify what gender they are. What gender are you today? The gender fluidity is the philosophy that's being forced upon us. So, if you feel like this, or see, this is a culture of confusion, a culture that is grinding us down, and Jesus uh, is calling us into this culture, calling us into this world. People are dead in their trespasses and sins. And when the Apostle Paul was going down the road to Damascus so he could arrest more Christians and create chaos in the church and kill Christians, he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And when Jesus met him, here's what he said. He says, I'm going to send you, Paul, Saul, sorry, to the Gentiles. And I want you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Just as we saw in Galatians last week where Paul called this an evil age. This this is an age where there's a lot of carnage, sadness and brokenness. And so this this is where God wants us. He said, you are salt. You are light. Right in this, right in this situation. My dad grew up in uh, northeastern Montana and we're thinking about being salt, and speaking of light, that window's at a strange place, isn't it? <laughs> does this thing move? Oh. Maybe it does. How fast will I have to move to stay ahead of the sun? I'm going to go that way. We are conservative, we do have to go to the right. (laughs) I'm gonna get closer, not farther. Okay, I think we're okay. Oak Grove's mobile pulpit. (laughs) So where were we? Oh, Salt and Light, whoop. Uh, okay, there we go. In verse, i going to move everything over here. <laughs> verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. That My dad grew up in northeastern Montana. He was born in 1918, so it was pretty basic uh, life. And they would slaughter animals, and when they slaughtered pigs, he said they would uh, put salt all over that ham, preserve the ham because salt is a preservative, and so they had the salt and they had the ham. If they left the ham, what's going to happen? You know, if they wait three months later, that ham's uh, it's going it's to spoil. But if they put that preservative on that ham, that ham's going to be ready when they want to eat it in the spring or winter or whenever time elapses, they want to eat the ham because salt's a preservative. It seems that God is saying that we are a preservative because salt is distinct. Salt is different than sugar and it's different than flour, even though they're all white. It's distinct. And so we are distinct. It seems that he is saying that go in this world and be distinct. Be a preservative. Retard the momentum toward what is happening in the darkness. He says, that's what I want you to do. That's, that's, my, that's what I have in mind for you, and there's a variety of ways we can do that. I'll just give you two quick examples. One of the ways we can be salt is that, and we are being salt, is we are becoming and have become for many years a voice for the voiceless, unborn children that are created in God's image and woven by him the womb. In our culture, that is an abrasive issue. We are distinct in that respect. And so we are being salt in our culture. I heard a a story, a news account many years ago from Israel that said that 100 bus stops in Israel had been burned or had been entirely painted over. The one thing they had in common was they all had an advertisement showing uh, a gal wearing a swimsuit. And at some point in time, a militant rabbi who was a part of the effort to destroy all these bus stops had this to say about it. He said, we express no remorse. He said, we expect no remorse for for defacing the abominable picture. We do not support violence in carrying out our actions, our godly actions. We do not support their violence for destroying and burning. We do share heartbroken concern for the abominable things in our cultures, pictures or whatever it might be. We do share a concern, and so we look for ways that please God, that are honoring to God, that are appropriate to be distinct to be what God wants us to be. And you know, it's just one little salty person in the classroom, one little salty, not little, one salty person in a cubicle somewhere, one salty person in the FFA leadership meeting, one one salty person has an impact. You might be that one person. Don't feel like you're all all alone. Take seriously when Jesus said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Not all alone, we're with him. There was another example of um, salt, distinctive, having an impact because without contact, there's no impact. If If we've got all the salt in the shaker, there is no impact in our culture. And there was an example from the uh, 1800s. Uh, Back in the 1800s, it was known that the New Hebrides Islands, which are in uh, the South Pacific, were inhabited by cannibals. And uh, that didn't stop missions. And so a church sent two missionaries to the New Hebrides in 1839. They landed and they were lunch. That was it. It's all over. 19 years later, John Patton and his wife Mary were preparing to go to the New Hebrides. In in that interval, somebody else, another missionary had landed there and set up a a beachhead, sort of, so there was a presence. And John and Mary Patton were getting ready to go, and an elder in their church chided them. He said, listen, you know, this is foolish. You're just going to be eaten by the cannibals. And John Patton had a very interesting reply to... uh, This man, he said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. (laughs) And so they went. And uh, three months after they arrived, Mary had a baby, Peter. 19 days later, Mary passed away. 17 days later, Peter passed away. John buried them right near his house and he had to sleep on the grave to keep the cannibals from digging them up. See, it was a very difficult assignment that John Patton was following in bringing contact so he could have impact in this environment and years later, one of those cannibal chiefs who had come to Christ said to him, he said, Mr. Patton, who were those soldiers that were ringing your house and w- w- were having that, that shining armor on all the time? Who were those soldiers anyway? See, God was protecting. But it was a very difficult time. He had to be rescued. His life, with it, many attempts on his life. And... Uh, At the end, after 35 years, when he left, he said there were two islands, and the island he was on, he said, every single native on this island has made a profession of faith in Christ. He said, when I came here, I could hear the screams and yells of the cannibals. When I'm leaving now, I'm listening to the tolling of church bells. And it was a huge, wonderful blessing. Now, this is an extreme example. It's a true story. It's an extreme example. And extreme examples can have benefit because they can help us to stop and think, well, what about my situation? There are things in my situation where I'm really uncomfortable. um, There's issues in my life that seem to have me sidetracked and I can't seem to overcome, I can't deal with. And we're tempted to conclude that though we would like to serve God by being salt and light, that it's just not in us. We just... It's too much. It's This is for those, those other more gifted, more whatever people, and, and I can't do that. Well, it's wonderful that Jesus didn't say, go and make disciples and have an impact like John Patton. He didn't say that. He didn't talk about uh, that. He said, go out and do what I'm asking you to do and glorify God. And In a moment, we're going to talk about the fact of of the results that that God is looking for. But before we do that, let's talk about the second part of this. In verse 14, he says, you are light. First, he said, you are salt. You're distinct. You you can have a preservative impact. Now he says, you are light. In verse 14, light most often is uh, equated with uh, purity as opposed to filth. Light's equated with truth as opposed opposed to uh, lies or deception. and in John 1 John 1:5 the Bible says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In, uh, in John 8 uh, verse 12 it says Jesus is quoted as saying, "I am the light of the world. The Bible says the believers are light. So turn in your Bible to um, Ephesians chapter 5 we want to see that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. We're going to get some uh, insight here into into what does it look like to be light? What are some qualities? What are some things that flow from it? What are things that light does not do? This is a good little primer here on light. So Ephesians 5, 3 says, Do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly, past tense, darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as light. For the fruit of the light, look at this, the fruit of the light, what does it produce? Light consist, light, the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth and trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's what we're about. We want to be good. We want to be righteous. We want to be truthful. We want to understand what's pleasing to the Lord and do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them for it's disgraceful to even speak of the things which are done by them in secret. It says that we are to be blameless, innocent, above reproach, willing to honor him, please him, and even expose the things that are going on in our culture. In the third century, the, the church was uh, was in uh, chaos. There was focus on wealth and power, and some of the godly people saw that and hated it, and they saw that their cities were full of temptations and diversions, and so they said, this is not working out, So they left the church and they retreated to the desert in Egypt. What this was, was the misguided attempt of people we call monastics. They were sincere, but they were misguided to start monasteries and, and do this withdrawn life. Because the word of God is pushing us into the world. It's saying, go and be salt and be light. It's not withdrawal, but it's holy living. In obedience to him that God is looking for. He wants us to be in the world, but not of it, of course, as we have said before. And as we do that, as we're in the world, as we're being light, there's a couple of ways we can do it. One is more out front, more verbal. Uh, There are things in our culture that are, as we've already talked about, that are um, horrendous, that are dishonoring to God, that are destroying people, Things that, how can we be silent? Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. There's a, a believer in England named John Lennox. He's uh, one of those brainiac people, godly man. He has, he has every degree under the sun, I think, except sunburn, maybe. He, uh, but he decimates the arguments of evolutionists like um, Peter Atkins or Richard Dawkins, when they make statements like this. Peter Atkins makes this statement. He says, humanity should accept that science has eliminated the justification for believing in cosmic purpose. Those are a lot of big words. What that says was, science has determined there's no purpose in you living. Okay? This is a brilliant philosopher, scientist. He goes on, and any survival of purpose is inspired only by sentiment because you want it. John Lennox, uh, by debating these men head on head, by speaking, by writing, is able to expose to us these doctrines of demons that are being circulated or being taught, our kids are being taught. And so somehow they have to be exposed. He exposed Richard Dawkins. He said... This, he said, faith in God is an evil to be eliminated. And John Lennox says, I'm not going to stand back and let that statement stand. We're going to address these things because we are, we are salt and light. We have the truth here. Another John, this, na- this man is John Stone Street, He's president of Colson Center. He wrote an article this last week talking about a move to develop something called progressive Christianity. And as a backdrop, he talked about what happened 100 years ago. 100 years ago in the church, there was a giant split because it, was, uh, it ended up with something called the fundamental approach to Christianity and the liberal. And here's what came out of that 100 years ago what the liberal Christianity looked like in that day. It was based primarily on a social reform agenda. In other words, doing good pretty much without God. Why is it that when people fall off the gospel horse, they usually fall on the side of social social reform? Oh, it's because we want to do good. We want to help. It's in us as Christians. But they fall off the horse on that side. And so here's what it preaches. Here's what it teaches. It teaches that uh, God is not sovereign over creation. Uh, He did not really come in the flesh and in the person of Jesus Christ. He did not really perform miracles or rise from the dead. That the Bible was not really the fundamental and decisive revelation of God nor the final authoritative source for morality. But it has to be understood according to our evolving scientific knowledge. This was the language of 100 years ago. Evolving scientific knowledge. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? and political agenda. These things are what's driving theology. And so 100 years ago, those who came ahead of us said, no, this has gotta be exposed, they exposed it. And they would not be done in by it. Today there's an effort, there's an effort to update Christianity. Apparently Christianity needs updating in people's minds. It's gotten passe, it's no longer relevant. And so to update it and reform it in the spirit of the age, this is coming at us from pulpits. It's coming from the Christian blogosphere. It's coming from formerly reliable Christian publishing houses. It's coming from Christian colleges that are Christian in name only. It's coming from beautiful churches that have gay pride banners and they have ordained ministers who are blessing abortion clinics and who have become so self-styled spokesmen to tell us what Jesus really meant when he spoke and what he really wanted us to do. And this is part of the effort to develop progressive Christianity. No truth claims, no moral teachings from historic Christianity. It's not another side of the same coin. It's a false religion. And thankfully, men like John Stone Street, John Lennox, many others are working to expose this kind of heresy that can lead people astray, can lead, lead people to hell. Uh, another way, now that's one way of being light, confronting like that. Another way to, to be light uh, kind of flows from this little phrase out of, of Philippians 2, where it says, do not look out for your own personal interests, but look out for the interests of others as well. The mindset of life when I've come to serve rather than be served. That kind of life being lived out, the kind of life that's getting its values and priorities from God, where, where we put family, family above work. We put family above finances. We've, we uh, are always truthful, even to our own harm, if that's the case. This kind of a, of a light isn't uh, necessarily mm-hmm. verbalized. But it speaks volumes because people around it see it. They recognize it when you're that way. When you live that way, people see it. And when we do that, we become um, the plumb bob. We become the level. We become um, a straight edge. We become a standard. The people around us, they just can't miss that. Now, what are the results when that happens? Well, People seeing that sometimes will say, wow, what is it about you? Tell me. Others will say, wow, what is it about you? Get away from me. So you can have any response can happen to our witness to being salt and light. And so our objective in this is to glorify God. And If we go to 1 Corinthians 3, we find, I think, a wonderful pattern to understand how we should look at getting results in making disciples and and seeing people come to Christ. Because in 1 Corinthians 3, the apostle Paul says, "'I planted, Apollos watered, and God brought the growth.'" You know, that takes a lot of pressure off of us, doesn't it? All we have to do is our part. One man planted earth, another, another guy watered. God brought the growth. Jesus says, I want you to be salt. I want you to be a preservative. I want you to be light. I will take care of the impact because what you do is going to cause some people to look at your life and glorify God. Jesus said, this is the way we've designed it. Your life lived that way, just in simple, authentic Christianity. You're not standing on the street corner yelling, Scripture it says that can glorify God. We can use that in drawing people, bringing people to faith. The truth is, though, that the darkness hates the light. We know that from Scripture. And so, this is a risky encounter. It might be somewhat simple in the f- in that. Our role is to be salt and light, and God takes care of the results. But it's still not without risk. There's a lot of risk. In fact, if you look at uh, back in Matthew 5.10, it says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. There's a lot of persecution still today. Today, there are so many Christians living in peril of their lives, and in North Africa and Middle, uh, the Middle East and Asia, a tremendous number of people in danger. He said, "Blessed are you when you have been persecuted for the sake of ret- righteousness. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me." Verse 12. Rejoice when that happens. That's not our knee-jerk reaction. Right? Not our knee jerk. Rejoice and be glad for your, re- your reward in heaven is great. So, down here, somebody reviles us, somebody badmouths us, somebody stabs us in the back on the team or at work or in the neighborhood. Somebody's talking over here and we are not responding in kind. Meanwhile, our reward in heaven is accumulating. Who would you like to have determine the level of your reward? Your neighbors or God? See, it's not without risk, but there is great reward. The passage is telling us that we are to be salt and light. The question is, are we salt and light? There's a danger in the passage about salt losing its saltiness. And that's because in the ancient world, salt, sodium chloride was, uh, it was found in marshes in various places, so they'd scrape up all this stuff. It's got a lot of salt in it. And uh, Jacob ordered, um, you know, five kilos of, uh, no, they didn't use kilos. What did they use? Can't remember those measurements from the Old Testament. Send me a bunch of salt. And they'd bring the salt, and he'd dump it on his whatever, and uh, because the sodium chloride was soluble, after a number of months, after a heavy rainy season, uh, no more sodium chloride, no more salt. But he still got all this junk that it came with. He said, salt can lose its saltiness. We've got to be alert to losing our saltiness. We're we're on mission. We've been commissioned. And light, according to the passage, light could be put under a basket. Well, of what value is that kind of light, the light under a basket?? Uh, just a second. I'm lost, lost, lost. And that therein lies our challenge we want to be salt and light. We've been commissioned to be salt and light. God has made it possible to be salt and light. And yet, um, there's a, a whole variety of ways in which we can struggle with that. One of the ways we can struggle with being salt and light in the world is that we can love the holy huddle so much because the holy huddle really is a good place. It's a wonderful place. It's a warm place. Yeah. But the holy huddle is also a place where there's there's all salt, Every, there's all salt. Everywhere. everybody's salty. It's also a place where it's all light. It's it's so light, you, and all this brightness. The holy huddle is a great place. But really, the rhythm of the church is to gather a few hours a week and then scatter. Gather and scatter. Gather and scatter. Gather and scatter. So when we scatter, we're 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 being salt and light in the context that God wants us to be in. So we could be overly focused on the holy huddle, or we could be thinking to ourselves, you know, I really don't have a special role. I really don't have those giftings that some of those people have. I kind of wish I did. I don't. Um, I think I can just kind of, I can just do my own thing, and, and we can go on. You know, this salt and light sounds good, but how do I get there from here? And we have to recognize there's many enticing parking spots on the road to walking with God and to honoring Him, and we don't want to pull into any of those because we want to be obedient. We want to be faithful. We do have compassion. The story of Ann Sullivan and Helen Keller is probably really well known, and Ann Sullivan was born into poverty, and she was half-blind. And uh, through a brilliant operation, she was able to regain her sight. And when she did that, she said, you know, I I have gone through this amazing transformation. I want to spend my life helping blind people, people who are where I was. And through a series of events, she came into relationship with Helen Keller. Helen was a little deaf and blind girl, a prodigy. And Ann Sullivan became her teacher and mentor and friend and tutor. And Ann Sullivan helped Helen free herself from this prison of blindness and deafness so that the brilliance that was in her could be released and she could interact in her culture and she could uh, express herself and grow and have a life of meaning. And it was possible for her to have that because Ann Sullivan says, I'm willing to give myself to help Helen Keller. And I think that's what we have to consider. May we have the heart to be those who having lived in the light now for some time, recognize what it was like to have been living in the dark and have a heart of compassion to go back, whatever the risk, to help those that they might find freedom and joy and meaning in life in Christ. Father, we're thankful for for your plan. Just as we, we were thinking about your plan during communion. Thank you for your plan of how we can be involved with what you're doing as you're building your church. You've given us roles that we can do in your strength. We can do with your truth. We can can do in the fellowship and the strength of the church, the body of Christ, as we work together, as we support one another and encourage one another and pray for one another. We want to thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be a part of your great love gift that you're wanting to share with the entire world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Close out with a couple songs here you guys can sit or stand um, as we contemplate we sing a couple songs in reflection of what just what steve had just said so
1: in christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song stuff. cry till final breath Jesus commands my death
0: somebody doing our prayer time i don't remember no prayer time, no prayer time. all right well we're going to close out with that dear lord we just uh we thank you for this again we just thank you for this place we can meet and for this time lord um, lord i just pray um, as we go out into this world lord help us to be prepared help us to be preparing our minds for action lord in this in the, the world that we live in um we just thank you for what steve shared this morning lord uh, just continue to encourage our hearts Lord um, just just help us to keep focused on you as we leave here this week Lord um, Lord we just we can't thank you enough we just thank you for this night in your name amen you guys are dismissed <laughs>